welcome to 30 Days of Terror Day 18. How you do? It is so hot in England right now. It's lovely. Holy moly. I, I know you're probably going to be sick of hearing me complaining about it, but I'm going to complain about it. It's hot. And I don't really mind the heat. My skin doesn't like the sun, but I personally don't mind the heat. But dear God, it's hot. It's too much for my brain. <laughs> Is it, this episode could be interesting then in that case. I've got two stories for you today. Okie dokie. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was either. It was supposed to be okie dokie, but it came out okie dokie. <laughs> Our first story today comes from Evan. When I was a senior in high school, my dad had started a ministry. It was supposed to be like a halfway house for people who had nowhere else to turn after they had gotten off of drugs and stuff like that. Like a drug rehab, but with Jesus. My dad had begun working on this project literally at the end of my junior year, and he finally managed to get it going by the end of that summer. He was so excited. My dad had had a troubled life, but after finding Jesus, he really got his shit together. He knew how these men felt and could really get on their level. At the start of it all, we were in an old Victorian-era home in downtown Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And this was when everything went to hell. The house was already huge, without the additions that the owner had added to the back end of the house. It was classically Victorian, with a literal lobby at the very front of the house that had doors to the rest of the house. The one to the right was the sitting room. The one to the left, that was my parents' room. And the two at the back led to the dining room, another bedroom. The bedroom and the hallway that led up to the servants' quarters, which were upstairs next to the attic door. Yes, a door into an attic. Not a hole in the ceiling like normal people put in their house, but a fucking door. Boy howdy did I hate that fucking flight of stairs. I would literally have to make someone watch me as I walked by it, because I always felt like something was going to pull me into the attic. So I rarely used the downstairs bathroom. Instead, I used the bathroom that was upstairs in the new addition. The new addition was basically completely separate from the rest of the house. I usually never felt scared in my bedroom. Until one night. I was in my bedroom reading my Bible, like one does, when I noticed my closet door open. I didn't think much of it at first, like maybe I just didn't close it all the way when I was putting my clothes away earlier. So I closed it. It opens. So I close it again, assuring myself that it is latched. I then get back into my bed, commence to reading my Bible again, and what do you know, the fucking door opens again. At this point, I'm more irritated than anything, but to make myself laugh, I go, Hey, would you mind not doing that? And the door closes. I'm now shitting myself. So I start to quote the verse that goes like, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Basically a Baptist's Hail Mary. The door doesn't move after that, thank God. That was really the only incident that happened at that house that I know of. Aside from feeling dread in the house at all times but things were about to get a lot worse. 
Up until now, the men in the programme had been living in an apartment complex adjacent to the house that we lived in. But of course, because of the fact that the house was in a downtown urban area, the men kept getting in trouble. That's when my dad found the Blue Lake House. The Blue Lake House was in the nearby town of New Augusta. Now I say house, but it really was an entire commune almost. On the property was a fairly new but unfinished three-floor dormitory, a decent-sized church, a house with a dormitory attached to the back end, and a barn. The property also had a lake, and was full of trees everywhere you looked. The driveway was literally a three to five mile drive into the woods with basically no other houses along the way. I'm pretty sure I'd run into a deer before I ran into a person if I had to escape during the night for any reason. I hated the property from the very first time we saw it. It just felt yucky there, like a black film of gunk attached to you as soon as you drove into the property line. My dad thought it was perfect. The guys could do farming and really get away from all of their past demons. What my dad didn't know was that this place had plenty of demons of its own. The first day my dad showed us the property, he wanted to make a statement of biblical proportions. So he decreed that we walk around the largest building on the property seven times. He felt inspired by the story in the Bible about the walls of Jericho. The Israelites walking around the perimeter walls seven times, blew the trumpets and the walls of the building fell down. So we did it. We walked around the building seven times. On the last go, my dad stopped and noticed something on the ground. It was a $100 bill. We had literally walked the exact route six times and no one noticed it until the very end. He took it as a good omen. I didn't. I felt like something was off. Later that night, we headed back to the house in downtown, where we eat, talk about what's to come and head to bed. Sometime around two or three in the morning, my dad gets a call and it's the fire department. The three-storey dormitory had burned to the ground. The building we had literally walked around seven times hours before. Coincidence? It could have been. But after you hear the rest of the story, I don't think you'll believe that. Even after that traumatic event, we moved in. My dad was bound and determined that no one could stop him from doing the work of the Lord. Admirable? Absolutely. Ignorant? Yeah, that too. My dad couldn't wait to get the ball rolling, so we literally moved onto the property before the smoke had even settled and the coals had stopped glowing. The first night had a couple of questionable events take place. The first was when a light bulb fell out of the ceiling, and the second was when I was given my job. I'd been asked to watch the hallway once the lights out was called. Basically, I had to make sure that none of the guys were trying to sneak out and stuff like that. I noticed shadows walking down the hallway all night, and every time I'd get up to check it out, there would be no one there. I finally got so agitated that I went into every one of the guys' rooms and asked them if they'd been up at all. And every one of them had been sound asleep. Whatever, I thought. After about a month or so of living there, I started smelling rotten meat. 
at completely random times. I didn't really think much of it at first, because I didn't know that that smell was associated to demonic presences. I tried to make the best of it while we were there. I finally had horses and could go riding any time I wanted. That was one of the only times that I felt like nothing was watching me. Until I came across a random spot in the woods. It was a huge ass area that had a completely perfect circle where nothing grew. Just dirt. And a single metal chair. Like the kind that would have been attached to a school desk, but it was missing the desk part. Or the kind that has become randomly popular in Ikeas across the globe. Either way, it was a creepy fucking chair. I noticed that every time I would pass the chair in any direction, it's like it would be pointed at me. Like if someone were sitting in it, they moved with me to watch me. Normally I wouldn't feel very scared in the middle of the day, but that shit was not cool and I booked it on the back of the horse until I came back to a place where I could see people. Eventually I became used to everything. The smells, the banging of a solid oak door, the scratching on the walls, the chair, all of it. I just started to feel numb, like nothingness. I got to a point where I stopped eating. I didn't want to be around any of my friends. I just wanted to be in the house with the darkness. I'd been a sort of a punky emo kid in my younger middle and high school days, but I'd given that life up by the time I was a senior. I was just a normal guy. But something came over me. I was lost. I would write this giant poem. Every line was a different way that I could die. Now, mind you, I was a pretty godly kid. I read my Bible and even attended a Christian school. So I knew about the evil in the world. But I'd never felt it until then. I wanted to die. Emotionally and physically, I was done. I had this reoccurring nightmare of a snake crawling out from my bed up and under my sheets until it made its way to my face, where it would rear back and strike. But I always woke up before it actually bit me. During all of my nothingness, I became blind to things. Like the night my sister-in-law was all but demonically attacked. My older brother was working night shifts and would come home very late in the evening or very early in the morning. His wife would wait up for him, to walk with him all the way to the back of the building where their apartment was. So one night, she was in the front room reading her Bible, when she heard what sounded like knocking. Three knocks. She gets up to see if it's my brother and if he needs help with something, but no one was there. She settled back into her spot on the couch and started to read again. The same thing happens. Now she thought it could be the wind and trees, so she's not too bothered. Then she hears the knock even louder, and her interest has been sparked. She decided to walk around the house. Now, I'll have you know that this house is basically the size of a school building, and it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's like two o'clock in the morning, but she's not really phased. So around the house she walks, and she finds nothing. She's pretty much fed up at this point and decides to head back to her spot in the front room and continue to read. 
She settles back in and hears the knock again. She ignores it. Then again. Again ignored. And again and again and again. And then nothing. She thought everything was over until out of nowhere, against the wall where her head was, she hears the loudest knock ever. Three booming knocks that she felt go through her. They were so loud that my parents, who were asleep in bed, thought something had happened and ran to see, where they were very quickly greeted by my very shaken sister-in-law. Again at this point I was gone, all but possessed by whatever was there. The ministry had been doing poorly. The success rate was 1 out of 20. My dad decided that it was best to close up shop. So we figured out how to get out and where we were going to live. Something that I have failed to mention up until now was the fact that we had all sorts of animals on this ranch. Cows, pigs, chickens, donkeys, horses and so on. One of the recently born calves had went missing, along with multiple chickens and both of the pigs. So my dad decided to make a police report, just to leave any loose strings well tightened. It was that day that we found out the real history of the property. We had known, roughly, the story of the old girl's home for troubled youths, but we didn't know everything. Apparently the home was growing beautifully, girls were getting helped, and becoming perfect members of society. Until one day. The home had a singing group that would travel the country in hopes of finding sponsors. One tragic day, the plane that the girls used crashed, killing everyone on board, including the husband and wife that ran the home, and who left the home in the hands of their second-in-command couple. Up until now, they showed no signs of extreme teachings or discipline, but without anyone to stop them, they all but went mad with power and abused the girls, to the point where they were forcibly closed down in the 80s. After the property became vacant, it became a hub for teens wanting to break the rules, including that of devil worshippers. There had been many times that the local farmers would report missing livestock to the police, who would later find the leftovers of a satanic ritual in the woods near the property. One incident involved the realtor smelling something putrid coming from one of the rooms in the three-floor dormitory in which she discovered a literal human fetus that had been left to rot. These investigations led the police to also find a giant pentagram painted on the floor of the third story of the dormitory that had a cauldron placed in the middle. To this day I refused to go back there. I knew something was off, but I didn't know that I'd come so close to the end living there. I honestly hope that the rest of the property burns down and takes all that evil with it. I know there has to be residual energy from the torment of the girls, but I could live with that. The evil was the real problem. The demons of Blue Lake are something not to be messed with, and comparable, I think, to the demon that afflicted the family that The Conjuring was based on. Apparently the night before we moved in, my dad had a buddy stay in the house, because it was right after the other building burnt down. His friend called him at around 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning and told him he had to leave because he had seen shadows dancing against the wall the entire night 
and could hear them whispering the whole time he was there. He never came back to help my dad after that. Yeah, I'd been hoping out of there as well. There's no way I'd be standing in that place. Too much weirdness going on for my liking. I wonder, was it the police that told him the girls' boarding house story when they called? Could be. If they've had loads of um, local farmers registering livestock as missing, then they'd know, wouldn't they? They'd be, yeah. it'd just be another one, and they'd be like, okay, yeah, this is this is something that happens around here. Oh, these. yeah, because that was the reason why the dad rang, yeah. wasn't it? Specifically about the livestock going missing. Yeah. Oh, that's a fucking dark story. It is really dark. Don't like it. I mean, there's so much going on in the house as well, isn't there? There's, you've got the shadows, you've got the knocking, just the general uh, sad demeanour that came over Evan himself. What is going on in the woods with the black circle with the chair in? I hate finding stuff like that, even when it's pro- like it, nine times out of ten, it's probably just pranksters it, dumping Or stuff. something really innocent that you yeah. completely misconstrue. Yeah, but it just doesn't look right, does it? Like, no, I definitely hate not. things in woods that shouldn't be there. There's lots of things I hate. These stories are um, realising that I'm just a hateful person. <laughs> Reinforcing all of the hatred you have deep down in your soul. Do you know what really put me at unease about this story? It was before Evan had even got to the farm, when he had this little closet opening, and he told it to, all right, I've had enough now. It's like, closed itself. <laughs> I'd be I like... I was like, sorry. No. <laughs> sorry, I'll stop now. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you. It's bad enough it opens three times, particularly if on the third time you know you've secured it shut. But then to say as a joke, all right, I've had enough now, and then it actually shuts again on its own. And I guess we all do those self-soothing mechanisms, don't we? Whether it's saying out loud, okay, that's enough, or crying and hiding under the duvet, whatever it is. Lighting a match and setting a fire. That too. I'm with Evan though. I'm kind of hoping the place does burn down. Not with people in it, but just empty. Our second story. I'm sorry. I just, I'm going to apologise in advance before we start. But our second story. Why are you looking at me like that? But our second story comes from Abby. Around 1986, a toddler sized talking doll. Whose no, name... stop. We're not doing this one. We're not allowed to do this one. Veto. Have I got a veto? No. Oh, Abby. Around 1986, a toddler-sized talking doll, whose name I'm still too superstitious to repeat, hit the market. She had blonde curly ringlets and large blue eyes that moved around when she talked. The sounds she made came from a cassette player that was built into her back and her rubber mouth would open and close along with the audio. The first time I saw one of these dolls in person was at a friend's house. For the next year, I would persistently beg my parents for that doll, and when I was eight, they surprised me with one for my birthday. Between 1988 and 1989, the doll and I got along well. I started to outgrow the cutesy and babyish cassettes that came with her, so sometimes I would put random tapes in her back, even music, and I would laugh hysterically as her mouth and eyes moved along with everything from classical music to my dad's boring financial tutorials narrated by a droning male voice. 
The man's voice emanating from the doll's mouth was totally creepy, but even more hilarious. And I inevitably got bored of this. But for at least a year, I had some good times with her. It was towards the end of my fourth grade school year in 1989. And one night I was getting ready for bed, as I always did. This night was marked by a gradual uneasiness, which started out as barely noticeable. But by the time I was in bed, I began to worry that I may never get to sleep. It was odd because there was nothing in particular I was anticipating or that was bothering me. There were no class trips, tests or anything that might trigger a sleepless night. I wondered if I was coming down with something. I was feeling ever so slightly unwell and the sensations in my body were causing me a great deal of anxiety. I lay with this discomfort for at least two hours, wanting to toss and turn, but feeling too emotionally paralysed to move. For some reason I wanted to face the wall. In fact, I was afraid to face the open space of my room. A sense of dread emerged. I remembered what my mom told me about not being able to sleep. She recommended that I didn't force myself to close my eyes, so I left them open. Periodically, my eyelids would close, but then my awareness of them closing would wake me up. Another hour went by. I was used to hearing the occasional whirring of cars, but after laying awake for so long, the traffic noise gradually ceased. The quietness of the room was distracting. Judging by the lack of street noise, I'm guessing that it was three or four o'clock in the morning. Then I heard something impossibly bizarre and barely audible. My baby brother's crib was across the room by the window. He was not yet talking more than a couple of words and certainly wasn't counting. But I heard him Not just counting, but counting backwards from ten. Every number was spoken in an exaggerated, drawn-out, sing-song voice that started from a lower tone and eventually made its way up to a higher one. I peeked quickly over my shoulder to look at the crib, but it looked like my brother was asleep. Ten... Nine, eight, seven. I pulled the covers tightly around my body and tried to convince myself that I didn't hear what I just heard. After all, the volume of that tiny voice was extremely low. Perhaps the baby was babbling in his sleep and my brain was trying to make sense of it. Could I have dozed off? Well, that's the thing. I'd been awake the entire night. Five. Four. Then a faint clicking sound came from the corner beside my brother's crib. There was a small wooden chair in that corner. Each of its legs had a metal wheel which clicked in such a way when the chair was being moved. It was unmistakable. I knew the chair was moving on its own. I didn't dare to turn to look because I was depending on the last ounce of denial that I could muster. 
The worst thing about this chair, other than its sudden independent movement, was that it was the permanent residence of the doll when I was not playing with it. And I knew she was sitting on that chair before I got into bed. Then it felt as though all the air was sucked out of the room and I could only hear the clicking of the chair's wheels as they inched closer to my bed. I started to call out for my parents, but I was unable to yell loudly enough. The fear was so intense that I could barely move, but eventually I decided that I should just make a run for the door. The problem was that in order to get out of the room, I would have to risk looking at the doll. Finally, I was able to move a little. That's when I made the mistake of turning my head too far around and saw the doll in her chair inches away from my bed. What's even worse is that her face was contorted in such a way that as an adult I can compare it to Regan from The Exorcist. But as a nine-year-old I had no concept of that. The doll's eyes were also looking upward but slightly to one corner creating an absolutely horrifying image that I will never forget. That's when I let out a powerful shriek. I did so reflexively, and it was almost like I was listening to someone else scream. When my parents came running in, the doll was back in her corner, and I was never believed. I slept in my parents' bed that night, and they were angry with me. I dreamed I was in a car driving in circles around some suburban neighbourhood that I'd never seen before. Living alone with the aftermath of this experience was traumatic in and of itself. The following week I was so paranoid about seeing inanimate objects doing things they weren't supposed to that I jumped to conclusions about certain things. For instance, the shampoo and conditioner that was in the shower one evening felt significantly heavier than they did earlier in the day and I was really afraid that substances somehow materialised at will. My mom insisted that water probably got into the bottles, but it didn't. I turned the bottles over and over and no excess water came out. Perhaps it was paranoia, but at that point I wasn't ruling anything out, not after what I experienced. It took several months to feel somewhat normal again, and to this day, I am still affected by this incident. Why Why did you send that? Oh. I actually feel like I'm affected by that incident now. That gave me the... That gave me goosebumps reading it. Are you okay? No. I could just see Dan's face getting further and further into his hands while I was reading that. I'm sorry. I did appreciate the idea that she before it got really scary i did appreciate the idea that um abby put like random cassette tapes <laughs> i think that would have been quite amusing for a child to prepare and then it was coming to get you in the night and counting down do you think it was a nightmare could just be delirium from being awake i'm hoping it's delirium from being awake i can't bear the thought of a life-size i don't know why you'd buy a toddler-sized double anyway they were very in in the 90s. Yeah, my sister had one. And the 80s. My sister had one. I wonder if your fear of doll comes from some sort of repressed incident like that. Oh, no, don't, don't, no. Why would you say that? <laughs> Why would you say that? Why would you say that? <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I don't actually believe that, but oh dear lord, the look on your face. Mm, no, I don't like that story. Sorry, Abby. So if you enjoyed today's episode, you can find everything that you need to find out about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can find the link to our Patreon, where you get extra content for either $5 or $2 a month. You can find the email address where you can send your own stories. You can also find the link to all of our social meds. Thank you for sending in your stories. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow. Bye.